Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Genesis chapter 22. We'll start reading in verse number 1. We've been for the past few weeks looking at some of the great stories of the Old Testament. Stories that we learned in Sunday school. Stories that we don't often talk about in our main services. And so hopefully this has been helpful. Today we're going to look at Abraham's big test. Genesis chapter 22. As always, if you don't have a Bible and carry one in, there's one in the seat in front of you there somewhere. encourage you to follow along. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this wonderful story. I pray today that the Holy Spirit would get hold of our hearts as we realize what glorious truths are contained herein. And I pray you'll fill me with your spirit that I might teach clearly and accurately and practically. Forgive me for anything, Father, that would stand in the way of, uh, of, of just being a vessel that you would use. And help us all to be filled with your spirit to hear. I pray especially, Lord, if 
there's even one here today who has never come to a saving relationship with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I pray today they would. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Isaac was the son of promise. Sarah was barren. But God promised Abraham, Lo, I will give you a son. Your seed shall be as the sands of the sea. Through you I will bless everyone. They're back in Genesis chapter 12. God had made a covenant with Abram. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. In that covenant, God had promised that from Abram would flow blessings to all the earth. And as the history of Abram's life progressed from Genesis chapter 12 up to where we are now in Genesis chapter 22, God had confirmed that same promise and added additional detail to it several times. Abram, whose name God changed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse number 5, would bear a son, through whom all the earth would be blessed. Now, Abraham was far from a perfect man. If we study his life, we find that to be true. He sinned, just as you and I sin. And that's a truth that's made clear throughout his history, but he also believed. He believed God's promise, even though sometimes it was seemingly ridiculous. He believed when he was promised that he would engender a son at the ridiculous age of 100 or so, his wife equally old. He believed when a long period of time, uh, many years elapsed between the making of the promise and the fulfillment of it. He believed. And then Isaac, he saw the results of that belief, the fulfillment of God's promise. When he looked at Isaac, he saw the one through whom all the world would be blessed. Isaac was the son of promise. But now God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And let's be clear, we all understand what that means, right? When we say that God commanded him to sacrifice Isaac, that means he commanded him to kill him. To take his life, offer him as a living sacrifice. Then God spoke to Abraham, take thy son Isaac, go into the mountains above. There on the altar of sacrifice lay him and give me the child of thy love. Now verse number one tells us that this was God testing Abraham. God tested him. Abraham had been tested many times before, but surely this was his greatest test. And it came after this wonderful blessing, this blessing from God, Isaac's promised birth being fulfilled. And now he had God uh, saying to him to give back this greatest gift that he had given to him. Give it back to me, God said. It was a test designed to prove Abraham's faith. Of course, if it was to be a real test, it had to be something hard. It had to be something seemingly incomprehensible. It had to be something that everything in Abraham's heart and mind would want to resist. And this test was that, all that and more. God tested Abraham. And we ought to see in that, just that, if we don't go any further than every first verse, we ought to see right there a reminder that tests and trials are part of the Christian life. We ought not to be surprised by them. We ought to actually expect them. And I've noticed, and probably others have noticed as well, that the closer one seems to get to God, the older one seems to get in the faith, the harder sometimes seem the tests. James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
tests. I'm reminded of a quote I wrote down somewhere. I don't remember where I first saw this, but it said, God doesn't give the hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. He creates the toughest soldiers through life's hardest battles. And so if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will undoubtedly experience testing. Abraham did. God tested Abraham. And as we progress through the story, it becomes clear. He didn't, God didn't do this because he meant harm to Abraham. God didn't do this because he meant harm to Isaac. In the end, neither were harmed. Both were wonderfully blessed by what took place. But nonetheless, God tested him. And I would suggest that God tested him in two primary ways. First of all, he said, sacrifice your son whom you love. Your son whom you love. Uh, We don't have to say a whole lot about that, do we? Uh, Any of us who uh, would no doubt have balked at the thought of sacrificing our child. Normal parents love their children. It's a love unlike any other. Most parents would far rather give their own life for their children than to see any harm befall them. And even if we had no word from God on the matter here, we would naturally assume that Abraham loved Isaac, and so that part of it would be a tremendous test to him. But we actually do have a word from God on the matter, don't we? God knew Abraham loved Isaac, and so he said in verse number 2, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. I know you love him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Some of you have probably lost children. I recall the grief that my wife and I felt when she lost a baby many, many years ago, my first wife, Beth. Never even seen that child, and yet it was a time of grief. I recall the agony that we both experienced when we thought we had lost Josh to cancer. Those who have had similar experiences would no doubt agree. That's a test, a terrible test that some of us have to go through. But the test that Abraham threw wasn't only about that. It wasn't only about the love for his son. Actually, I think it was something much, much, much more that made this test so difficult. He said, sacrifice your son, your son, through whom the promise is to come. Let me quote from one of my favorite commentators. He says this. He says, the problem was not merely that Abraham loved Isaac. That was true enough. What was even more important was that God had promised that all future blessings, including the blessings of salvation, were to come through Isaac. God had told Abraham that Isaac was to live and marry and have a family, and that from that family there would come one who would be the deliverer. Now God says that Isaac is to be sacrificed. And for the first time in all Abraham's experience with God, he is confronted by a conflict between God's command and God's promise. Earlier, Abraham had been tested as to whether he would believe that God could do the seemingly impossible task of giving Abraham and Sarah a son. That was a test, but it was not as hard as this one. This test involved a conflict apparently within the words of God himself. God had promised posterity through Isaac, but God had now also commanded Abraham to kill Isaac. Will you believe God's promise, Abraham, even when his command appears to contradict it? Anybody can obey God when it's easy, when it's enjoyable. What about when it's hard? What about when it's illogical? What about when it causes us pain or loss? What about when every fiber of our being cries out and screams and protests, God, what in the world are you doing? What about then? Well, wonderfully, Abraham obeyed. Upon the mountain to the place of the sacrifice, slowly they walked hand in hand to lay on the altar the promise of Israel, obeying God's command. He did everything God asked him to do. 
He did it without delay. He arose early in the morning, verse number 3. He prepared everything necessary for the trip and the sacrifice. He set out on the journey to Mount Moriah, verses 3 and 4. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but that Mount Moriah is a very significant place in Scripture. I have stood upon it. I think you've been upon it. can't remember if we got you up there or not. Mount Moriah is what is today referred to as the Temple Mount when you go to Jerusalem. It's where the temple stood. It's where the Islamic Dome of the Rock Shrine stands today. Second Chronicles chapter 3, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. So it's an important place. Let's think for a minute about all that Abraham's obedience entailed. There was a lot to it. First, there was the instant and immediate aspect of it. Seen in getting an early start and heading straight for the destination. But there was more than that. I mean, once that preparatory activity was over and he was underway with Isaac, the two young men who he asked to accompany him walking along, he would have had time. Significant time. Three days, the Bible says. Three days, uh, verse number four. It was, it was about 50 miles from where he started. Three days to think about it, to mull it over in his mind. Three days traversing some very arduous terrain, terrain that could have convinced him to turn back. Three days looking at watching his son, noticing everything about him that he loved, thinking of all the things he might accomplish in life if he would only live. Three days when he could have stopped. He could have turned around. He could have changed his mind, but he didn't. Powered through all that, and in obedience, he made it to the destination, verse number nine. And there's another aspect to his obedience which is interesting, and it goes back to something we said earlier. You see, in order for him to obey God's command, he had to come to some understanding of how God's promise and God's command could be reconciled. And there's a couple of really cool pieces of information in our Bibles that tell us he did come to that understanding. He figured it out along that three-day journey uh, exactly what was going to happen. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. We, you ought to circle that little pronoun in your Bible. We will come back to you. It's a glorious thought. And we know exactly what he meant by it, because the writer to the Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, yeah, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. Abraham could not see how the promise of God and this seemingly contradictory command of God could be resolved, but he trusted that God could and would resolve it. He believed that somehow... Even in obeying God's command to sacrifice Isaac, God would still fulfill his promise through Isaac, even to the point of raising him from the dead. We will come back, Abraham says. It's a glorious thought. A fellow by the name of Barnhouse wrote a book. It's called The Names of God. And he has a section in there that's fascinating. He, he gives a, an idea of what might have been going through Abraham's mind this moment. Let me read this to you because I think it's interesting. He said, Abraham was surpassing Aristotle in the workings of his mind at this point. The fact that we are told that Abraham accounted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead is the key to the story. Accounting is a mathematical, logical procedure. 
As Abraham and Isaac had walked for three days through country growing more and more desolate, and at the slow, measured pace of the burdened mule, his mind went around and around the matter. And he ultimately came to the calm conclusion that he was going to see a miracle. The method of his thought was as follows. God is not a liar. He cannot be mistaken. He told me beyond question that I should have a son, and there he walks before me. God has said that this son would be the one through whom he would fulfill all of his promises. Therefore, the son must live, or God would be found false. And yet God commands that this son be put to death. Here, humanly speaking, is contradiction. But there is no contradiction in God. That is the foundation fact. There is power in God. There is wisdom in God. There is majesty and glory in God. But there is no contradiction in God. But what is to be done with God's command to sacrifice my son? Since there is no contradiction in God, there's only one answer that my mind can fathom. God is going to perform a miracle and raise Isaac from the dead. Doubt may say that this is foolish, that there has never been a resurrection in the history of the world, but that doesn't make any difference. A resurrection is compatible with the nature of God, but a contradiction is not compatible with the nature of God. God is life and the author of life. It would be a small matter for the God who created the universe, including the first man, to bring life back into a dead body. So the one clear, logical conclusion is that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know if that's how his mind worked, but I think it's a very interesting thought. Warren Wiersbe said, faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises. And that's what Abraham did. And that's what Abraham believed. And therefore he obeyed. We ought to mention also that Abraham's obedience was not the only obedience on display here. Isaac's is pretty amazing, too. Isaac carried the wood. You see that in verse number 6. The reason Isaac carried the wood was because he was not a chubby little toddler here. He was a young man. And we might remember that Abraham was over 100 years old. This becomes somewhat interesting when we see Isaac laying on the altar, for he certainly could have overpowered his aged father and said, you've got to be kidding me, right? We walked away all the way up here for this? I'm heading back down. He could have done that. But he went along with Abraham's plan. I like what one man wrote about this. He said, perhaps Isaac had seen his father trust God for provision in the past. Maybe he had even heard these same words from his father's lips many times growing up. God will provide my son. And he had surely seen God do it. You see, young Isaacs do not come out of nowhere. They come from parents whom they observe obeying the Lord even when it is tough. They come from parents who believe. And live as though they believe that the Lord will provide. Abraham was only able to tie Isaac down to the altar because Isaac was willing to be tied down. And why was Isaac willing? Because his father's faith in the God of the impossible had rubbed off on him. He believed what his father said in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And if God chose him to be the lamb, then God knew best. I say to you again, teenagers like that do not come out of nowhere. They do not generally arise out of families that are thoroughly moral, but only marginally Christian. They arise out of families where Christ has come to have first place in everything. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. God will provide. Abraham believed that. He had taught Isaac that, and Isaac believed it too. 
And later they would witness God's amazing provision, the ram in the thicket. And Abraham would name the place where they were, uh, Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day we sing that song. We sing that every once in a while, Jehovah-Jireh. That word, Jireh, or Yaira, really, as is is spelled in our Bible, has an even simpler meaning, though, than the Lord will provide. It literally means to see. God sees. And what it really means, maybe the the, the best interpretation would be God will see to it. God will see to it. And all that we would believe that, even when things come up that we don't understand, even when things that, that, that just tear us apart come into our lives, if we would only believe, no matter what, as Abraham did, God will see to it. Jehovah Jireh. Well, we come to verses 9 and 10. And we find the actual event, the actual description of Abraham's obedience. He built an altar. He placed wood on it. He bound Isaac. He laid him on the wood, and he picked up his knife to slay him. That's what it tells us. But such an abbreviated verse, that is, of all that must have happened here. Think about it. What conversation must have flowed between these two men? As Abraham explained what they were really doing, what astonishment must have been on the face of Isaac. As he heard for the first time what they were really doing there. What tears must have been pouring down Abraham's cheeks. What amazing submission from the man Isaac, who submitted to being bound and laid on the altar. What must these two men have been communicating with their eyes locked on each other as the father raised his knife high above his head and prepared to plunge it into his obedience and innocence. And I I can't fathom the depths of what really took place that verse. But God stayed Abraham's hand. It's so important that we reiterate this point. God never meant harm for Isaac. Human sacrifice was never acceptable then or at any time. God never intended that Isaac be slain. All of this was a test of Abraham. And now that Abraham had demonstrated his obedience and faith, the test was over. God stayed Abraham's hand before he could kill Isaac, verses 11. I often try to picture that scene in my mind. I can picture it like this. I picture Abraham's fingers curling around that knife, trembling, but very resolutely and determinedly raising that above his head. I can see him locking eyes with Isaac, and then his hand starting to come down. And then I can see the angel of the Lord reaching out, grabbing his arm at the very last minute. And, of course, I know that's not what the Bible says. I know that the Bible does say there that, uh, what does it say? It says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. And told him to proceed no further. But I'll bet to Abraham it felt a lot more like my fanciful version. At the very last second, God stopped him. There in the wilderness, lo, a voice thundered. God spoke to his servant again. Take not the life of thine only son, Isaac, for God hath provided a lamb. And we come now to the realization that there's not just one, but two wonderful truths that jump out us from this passage. We've spent a whole lot of time learning of Abraham's amazing faith and his amazing obedience. But now we see something even more wonderful in God's provision of a substitute. God provided a lamb. Weary and wandering down through the ages, oppressed and afflicted within No more the sacrifice given by man could atone for the evil of sin. God sent his only son, Jesus, Messiah, to die on the altar of man. Once and for all the atonement was made. And God hath provided the lamb. 
God's provision of a redeemer, of a substitute. We, we first learned about that back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. That was its first mention. And now we see it pictured wonderfully in this event in Abraham's life. Isaac had asked in verse number 7, where is the lamb? And yet in another astonishing indication of Abraham's faith, he had answered in verse 8, my son God will provide for himself the lamb. And finally in verse 13, God provided the lamb. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram that God provided was offered instead of Isaac, a substitute lamb, was provided. And if you continue reading in the Old Testament, you find that the sacrificial system was all about the fact that there needed to be a substitute sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then in the New Testament, it was revealed that all of this pointed toward the one true, final, ultimate substitute, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His sacrifice on the cross was final and paid the price for all of our sins. John the Baptist had called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John 1.29. God will provide a lamb, Abraham said. There he is, said John the Baptist, pointing to him. And then God's provided lamb died on the cross of Calvary. And the substitution was complete. And that lamb took away your sin and mine. Voice says this. He says, here in this story of Abraham and Isaac was proof of how much a mere man would do for love of God. But I am sure you have seen how this incident is also a pageant of how much more God would do as an expression of his love for fallen men and women. Abraham was only asked to sacrifice his son. He did not actually have to do it. And even if he had, there was only a physical death involved. But when the time came for God, the Heavenly Father, to sacrifice his son, It was not a mere physical death. It was a spiritual death, one that achieved redemption for sinners. When God's hand was raised at Calvary, there was no one to call out, stay your hand, do not harm the boy. When God offered up his sacrifice, the hand that was poised above Christ fell. Jesus died. Through that death, God brought life to all who trust in Christ's sacrifice. Hallelujah. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I read where during the Civil War, there was a company of irregulars known as bushwhackers. They were arrested by the Union soldiers. Because they were guerrilla fighters and not in uniform, they were sentenced to be shot. There was a courageous young boy in the Union Army watching all of this. He touched his commanding officer on the arm and he said to the officer's astonishment, Won't you allow me to take the place of one of the men you have just condemned? He said, I know him. I know him well. He has a large family who need him badly. My parents are dead. I have few friends. No one will miss me. Please let me take his punishment. The officer hesitated. But finally he gave his consent. And so pulling the husband and the father aside, 
The young man filled his position in the death line. If you were go, if you were to go now to the little cemetery down south, there's a stone that marks his grave, and on that are these words: "Sacred to the memory of Willie Lear." He took my place. He took my place. God had provided a lamb. His name is Jesus. He took your place. He died so that you would not have to. He paid the price for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He laid down his life so that you might have eternal life. And now all you need to do is believe it. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior in repentance and faith. Have you done that? If you haven't, will you do it today? Father God, we're thankful for this glorious story. We're thankful, Lord, that God has provided the Lamb. We're thankful for all that we learned from Abraham here. We're thankful even more for how it pictured and foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do for us. And so I pray today that all of us would think about these things, apply to our heart and life. Lord, uh, the obvious application is this. Is there anybody here who has never yet received the salvation, the gift of salvation that's offered by that Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world? Lord, we know it's not something that we can just, uh, just slide into. It requires a deliberate decision, a deliberate act upon our, upon our part. We must believe. The Bible is clear about that. We must receive. We must accept Christ as our Savior. We must pray, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross of Calvary uh, to die for me. I know that you are the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, my sins. And that when you died on the cross of Calvary, you died in my place. You took my place. And I believe that. And I ask you to be my Savior. Lord, is there anybody here today who has not done that? I pray they would do it. I pray they do it right now. I pray when we sing in a moment, they'd step out, come to the front, let us pray with them. But either way, I pray, Lord, please, don't let anybody leave this place lost. And I pray for Christians. I pray, Father, if there are those here today who have perhaps lost sight of all that Jesus did for them. What a glorious truth it is that God has provided the Lamb. And I pray today you get hold of their heart. Some of us may need to just bow in reverence before you and say, Lord, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you for the glory of it. Thank you for the wonder of it that you provided a lamb for me. I pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.